Welcome to Queer Storytime, the podcast. This is a brave space for sharing queer and trans stories of radical affirmation, acceptance, empowerment, and healing. I'm your host, Stevie Ingram. I so look forward to you joining us. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Alrighty, y'all. Queer in three, two, one. Let's go. Welcome to episode number four of Queer Storytime, the podcast. I'm so glad to have you join us again. Today's episode features Dr. Jumpa Wurst, the founder of the International Queer Buddhist Conference, also known as IQBC. The IQBC is an organization that held their first conference on Zoom in 2021 and serves as a gathering place for the gender and sexually expansive community to share in queer and trans expression and in the Buddha Dharma, which can be understood as the teachings of the Buddha. As an organization, the IQBC aspires to hold regular gatherings to foster the exchange of ideas in a safe space enriched with humor, engagement, and entertainment, which occurs not only in their yearly conference, but in their monthly gatherings called Conscious Connections. You can find out more about the IQBC by visiting their website at iqbc.org or by visiting their Instagram, which is at Queer and Buddhist. Whereas I do plan to dedicate a future episode of Queer Storytime to the teachings of the Buddha and how they can be beneficial to us as queer and trans people, Today's episode will focus on Dr. Jumpa, their life story as a queer non-binary lesbian, and their work with the International Queer Buddhist Conference. As always, before introducing today's guest, I invite you to sit with me for a quiet moment of relaxation, ease, and present moment awareness. So if it's safe for you to do so, just finding a comfortable seat, whether you're seated in the chair, on your bed, on the floor, wherever it is that you are, just finding a comfortable seat, gently closing your eyes or having a downward cast gaze, and bringing your awareness inward. As you do so, bringing your attention and awareness to breath. Noticing where you feel the breath in the body, maybe in the chest, in the ribs, in the abdomen. And just continuing to be aware of the breath in whichever part of the body you find it. Inhaling with full attentiveness and awareness. And exhaling with full attentiveness and awareness. You might gently say in the mind, breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. This is a technique taught by Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. If the mind becomes distracted as it often does, just re-engage your awareness. Noticing the breath, noticing the rise of the inhalation 
and the gentle fall of the exhalation. Awareness of breath and mindfulness practice are very powerful helpers to what we call the autonomic nervous system. Help calming down the mind, help calming down the body. And coming into a place of groundedness and ease. These teachings and practices go back thousands and thousands of years to the teachings of the Buddha. Of which we'll be discussing a little bit in today's episode. So just taking a couple more deep breaths here. Last inhalation and last exhalation. And then as you're ready, we can begin integrating into the space that surrounds us by gently opening the eyes and reintegrating into the room. Welcome back, y'all. So now that we're calm and present, and without further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend, Dr. Jampa Wurst. Dr. Jampa, like many of us, was raised in a narrow-minded Christian environment, primarily from their mother's side of the family, although luckily their father was open-minded. As a kid, Dr. Jampa naturally behaved like a boy and had attraction to women, thus realized their lesbian identity as someone assigned female at birth. Given this upbringing, Dr. Jampa studied to know and understand themselves better with studies in Protestant theology, comparative religious studies, and some semesters in Indian philosophy and Tibetology, and later on seven years of systematic studies in Buddhism and monastic studies at the Tibetan Center in Hamburg. In Buddhism, Dr. Jampa felt at home due to Buddhism being a philosophy of living, which is a large part of why they created the International Queer Buddhist Conference. That's beautiful. <laughs> Dr. Jampa, welcome to Queer Storytime. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast and to hear more about your journey as a queer non-binary lesbian and someone with many years of study in comparative religion and Buddhist studies. So let's start at the beginning of your journey and how you arrived here where you're at today. Yeah. First, thank you, Stevie, that you allow me to be in your podcast. That's a beautiful pleasure. And yeah, it's an honor to be one of the first. Your podcast is so new. And now, hey, I'm allowed to be here. Great. Yes, you, you are. So grateful to have you. Yeah. Well, as you already said, when I was raised in the last century in Stone Age times in South Germany, really very narrow-minded. And the only one who was open-minded was my dad. And he didn't care if I run around in a base cap, also as a kid in a base cap, and or pretending to be a boy, also to be a Tarzan or something like that, mm. climbing trees and having fun and having also fun with being strong. He was okay with all these things. The other side of the relatives, they wanted me to 
being the normal or usual girl. So it gave me puppets, so like Barbies or those things. And well, luckily, a friend of mine who was a boy or assigned male at birth, he was happy with these puppets, playing with them. And I played with his planes and trains and cars. And oh, it was a wonderful friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Unhappily, we lost contact after school. So I don't know what's with him now. Well, and then I always felt that I'm different, that I don't fit in those boxes. All the others around, also in primary school already, they were in those boxes. This is a boy, this is a girl, and that's it. And I played with the boys. And the girls were like, oh, you are so nice. Okay, yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) I like that from the beginning. (laughs) Well, when I became older, Well, when you are a teenager, then things become difficult because then the boxes are more rigid and the boys separate from the girls and because they want to be the tough ones and the the already men, (laughs) the real men, and the girls become more Barbies. Well, it was their worries. And I felt I'm not this and I'm not that. And where do I belong? Mm. And yeah, that was a really difficult time through high school and college. I always felt I'm the only one. Then at the end of college, I realized there are two lesbians and one gay student. So maybe I'm not alone, but they were also in the system. Right. (laughs) And I wasn't. And because of all this narrow-mindedness around, I thought I only can survive only living as a brain. So Mm -hmm. that means studying and studying and studying and wanting to know about life and what life means or how is it combined? How is it interconnected? Why are humans like this? Or why is the world like this? Or why are the roles like this? I just wanted to know, to know, to know, to know, to know. <laughs> and if it would have been possible, and I would have been a very rich person, what I'm not at all, then I would study today because studying is something like giving me strength or power or it's like breathing. I have to know. I don't want to believe. And when I did that, that I first studied Protestant theology, that was because all these people around, oh, they were so pious. They Mm. pretended, they pretended Mm. to be. And I thought, hey, I want to know what's in the Greek version of the New Testament and in the Hebrew version of the Jewish tradition, which is the Old Testament in Christian tradition. So I want to know what's in the original. And then I translate it. And then I will tell you that (laughs) that it's different. (laughs) And some things I could make evident that it's different than translated into German. But my difficulty was that because I came out as a lesbian at this time, so around end of college and beginning of your college and beginning to study at the university, again, didn't fit. And the professors or teachers who taught Protestant theology, they thought, my God, what is this? What a student is? Is this a woman? Is this a man? And why is this person always asking? I didn't accept anything. I said, Mm. I don't want to believe, I want to know. That is what is studying about. And they wanted to mute me. Mm. And so I could make it possible to finish these studies with a diploma. And I decided not to become a preacher or pastor in the Protestant church. Well, they would have kicked me out. (laughs) So 
and I said, okay, I go on studying. That's not enough. I have to know more. And I was always attracted by, by journeys so far away as possible. I wanted to escape from this narrow-mindedness from my childhood on. So if I would have had an enterprise at this time, I would have escaped to dimensions no one has gone before. That wasn't the case. So Asia was something like mysterious. I thought, yeah, that, that's something interesting. And so about books, I already had become acquainted to Buddhism. And I thought, okay, that is the next thing I have to figure out. And I realized here I don't have to believe. I am allowed to think and mm -hmm. to discuss things. Yeah. And hey, when you can discuss with others and say, okay, I think this could be, but can we can we think of another side or is there an, another view or how, how do we figure that out? And so I was much fascinated by Tibetan Buddhism because they are debating. Yeah, they, they are debating in public, especially at this time, you could see monks who were debating in, in public. And after my studies said, okay, now, I want to know what is with these Tibetan Buddhist nuns. Uh, you only hear about monks. That's not possible. Well, I got a supervisor who, who wasn't convinced at all, but he said, let them do. Then there is a way, maybe they go to Asia and stays there. And I went to Asia and there I went into the nunneries and I was always kindly invited. No matter how I was behaving or what t-shirts, no, you <laughs> can't read that, huh? I uh, love what that. What t-shirts <laughs> I am for wearing. The, or that real quick, yeah. let me just say for those yeah. listening to the podcast, Dr. Jampa just showed a t-shirt that says, Error 404, Gender Not Found. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's always the same. I have always t-shirts with written sentences that make you think. Mm. And the nuns? It's a, in Buddhism, that's called a koan. Yeah, oh, yes. in, in, in Japanese, Japanese Buddhism, it's called. Yeah, yeah. In Japanese Buddhism, yeah. That, that's so great. You, you can't only read it, you, you have to think about it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and in these Tibetan Buddhist nunneries, well, that was fascinating because I wanted to make interviews. I wanted to know about them. And they were very kind. And they made me small nun, anejungchung, mm. what it's called in Tibetan, because they said, you also have a duty when you are living with us. <laughs> so I had to do the whole daily schedule like the nuns reciting and learning text by heart and so on. And then I got my interviews. And that was a really interesting, exciting and very tough time because I lost 20 kilograms or 40 pounds. So I was almost like a skeleton when I came back. But it was fascinating. And yeah, I wrote my book or my, my thesis and I'm really excited because my publisher said that it will also come out in English at the end of the year. Wow, congratulations. In German, it's a long time ago, but yeah, in English it makes sense because there are more people who would read it right. and discuss. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And yeah, I think that's that's why many of us are drawn to Buddhism is for like this open-mindedness that we're all seeking when we grow up in restrictive religions that have certain binaries of which they're perpetuating. I know I felt that way when I was drawn to Buddhism myself is just that kind of expansive nature and that allowing of space for non-rigid, non-dogmatic ideas. That's right. That was my impression too at this time. And well, I, I was doing talks and workshops on different Buddhist events also at this time. 
and was working with Sagadita, that is a network of Buddhist women. Also there I did workshops and yeah, I did that years and years. And then I was allowed to also do LGBTQ workshops there. And this acronym became longer and longer. LGBT, <laughs> LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, IA, IA+, plus, 2S LGBTQIA+, and I thought, okay. Uh, and I always <laughs> thought I lose people or I, I, I haven't excluded everyone. And yeah. I, that's so, so, so necessary. There, there is this need for queer Buddhist people. Yeah, to, to have a space. Mm, that's why I love using the phrase GSE, gender and sexually expansive, because it includes everything. It doesn't include this alphabet of letters. <laughs> yes, oh, that's beautiful. It's just summing up easily. Yeah, the gender expansiveness or, or sexual and, and gender expansive, that, that is a beautiful term. That That is excellent. But I think for me, it's only recently that it came up. I, yes. I don't, yeah. yeah, within the last couple of years or so. <laughs> what I realized is that also Dharma centers had and still have, and also many Buddhist events have difficulties with accepting gender expansive people in their surroundings. Mm -hmm. They like to mute them or to pretend that they are not exist. For me, I think that because... The th I, I guess the thing that I would want people to know, and maybe you can say something about this too, is that Buddhism, unlike Christianity, does not have within any of their texts anything inherently against the gender and sexually expansive community at all. Now, within Christianity, of course, there are what are called like the clobber clauses. I don't know if they're called that in German, but the stories that basically tell of Sodom and Gomorrah and people thinking that those clauses within the Bible are against homosexuality when actually in reality, they're against pedophilia, against powerful men oppressing women and children, essentially, especially children, and sexually assaulting them. That's what those verses are speaking about, not consensual homosexuality. My point being is that there's nothing like that within the Buddhist texts. I think that any misunderstandings by Buddhists, especially in Buddhist countries about gender and sexuality, really is probably most likely due to colonization. You know, the British colonized a large portion of the world. And, you know, there were other countries that colonized the Asian countries. And I think it's a result of that that led to these kind of repressive ideas of gender and sexuality. But it has nothing to do with Buddhism itself. So that's what I would argue. <laughs> yes, I love that. Chef's kiss. Great. <laughs> that's the point. Dharma is inclusive. It doesn't say you are not allowed. Yeah, You don't belong to the Dharma. You can't be enlightened. Hey, everyone can be awakened and come right. to Buddhahood. So these patriarchal systems, and yes, by colonization of Christians, this conflict, oh my God. Um, <laughs> We're having cats run around and knock stuff off my bookshelf. Welcome to having cats. You know, they always say that <laughs> cats are really great Zen masters, but sometimes they're little destructors too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, hey, maybe that's pretty apropos for this conversation about awakening, because sometimes the process of awakening can be destructive, but in a good way, in a way that enlightens us. So let's pick up on that note. I know that we were talking about colonization influencing repressive ideas of gender and sexuality onto various cultures around the world. So yeah, continue your thoughts on that. Yeah, maybe I can give a special example. I was on a conference in Vietnam and I wasn't allowed to address my workshop as queer or lesbian, gay, whatever. So I called it diversity workshop. Okay. Okay. Because everything is diverse, the nature is diverse, so hey. And the funny thing was that the few Westerners, about uh, five to ten people, they knew what I meant. They were coming because of LGBTQIA+. Huh. 
And then 50 nuns came, Vietnamese nuns, of two different nunneries with their two abbesses. And I thought, I, I will not survive <laughs> mm. when I speak open. And what I did was I took a Buddhist text. There is a text where a monk called Shariputra, he's discussing awakeness or, or what it calls enlightenment. What is a little bit difficult? Awakening is, is much better with a goddess or a, a female deity. Okay. And Shariputra is so excited because, hey, this female being, she knows so much about the path and how, how is this possible? And he is yeah, somehow convinced, almost a chauvinist, that mm -hmm. only men can become awakened. Women mm -hmm. can't. So <laughs> he makes this suggestion to the goddess, why don't you change your gender into a man? Then you can become awakened. <laughs> so, hey, you can change your sex or gender, no problem. And the goddess can. She's a goddess. So what she did was she changed into a man, into a god. But at the same time, she changed Shariputra into a woman. Wow. With a woman's body. And he was so confused. Oh, what do I do now? Now I'm a woman. Oh, my God, this body is wrong. It's, it's a woman. I never can become awakened. And oh. And after a while, becoming used to this body, you realize, oh, it's not about the body or the genitals. It's about your attitude, how you walk on the path mm. to awakening. And when he realized that, she, <laughs> then he was changed again, and the deity changed the body also and became the goddess again, because it doesn't matter if you are a man, a woman, non-binary, trans, hey, everyone is included. And mm -hmm. this text, I think, is so remarkable. And I read this text, and that made the attendees calm down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes prepare raps or uh, in a special way, a little bit ironic or sarcastic with humor, educating people. And there I had used such rhymes to also say something like happy and gay. I'm not an English speaking person. I'm a German. So if I'm happy or gay, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have all these facets in these terms. And People began to smile, and at the end of this workshop, the translator of who was there for the Vietnamese nuns came to me and said, please go to these abbesses. They want to speak with you. And I thought, oh my God, now I will come into a prison because in Vietnam, it's difficult. There were always military police around, but these Two abbesses said, can we have this Dharma rap text? Then our translator will translate the English text into Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Because in our tradition, it's very difficult to speak about sexuality in general, then about sexuality in a nunnery or monastery, and about Speaking about gender or LGBTQIA+, we, we can't speak about, but in this humorous way, that is so open. Oh, that's perfect. And yeah, I, that's yeah. such a beautiful story. Yeah. Makes me, so, like yeah. all of the Dharmic traditions, in my awareness, even Buddhism, I don't know personally so much about Jainism. But I know in the Hindu tradition, there's many gods and goddesses that have sexual fluidity, gender fluidity. And it's like, 
You know, I just think part of that is people are born throughout all cultures to believe that being cisgender and heterosexual is what is the norm. And that is so dominant in people's minds, even monks and nuns, that when their own religious or philosophical texts have teachings on these things, they conveniently just don't see it or they just miss out and don't even acknowledge that these texts exist, telling these stories of these gods and goddesses kind of transitioning, <laughs> to use a modern term. So, I think one of the most important teachings in Buddhism is to maintain an open mind and to tune into these cultural expectations that have been projected onto us for centuries throughout many cultures. Like I said, many of the root texts, especially of, you know, the indigenous cultures of the world, they do have these stories and these mythologies of gender and sexual expansivity. Yes, and so. that's so exciting what you say. You see, I was attracted to Tibetan Buddhism also because they especially have those Luit deities, or they are called on one hand deities, on the other hand, protector of Dharma or protectors mm. of Dharma. So it's also fluid yeah. <laughs> because it's the pre-Buddhist tradition that just became a Buddhist. There are female ones, there are male ones. You have maybe Genresi in Tibetan or Avalokiteshvara in Sanskrit, who somehow is androgynous. And in Chinese, the same figure is more female. So yeah. it's always fluid. And that is beautiful. And to add something with what I said previously, I had realized that so many of us were bullied, not only in society, in, in our patriarchal societies around the globe, but also on Buddhist events or in Buddhist centers or so. And so I just wanted to change it. I thought that's not believable that in open philosophy, an open-minded philosophy, that yeah. humans do this to us, that they think we are not worth. So I thought, okay, now I talked so much with other siblings, and then I thought, okay, I will make a small meeting or small conference in my little garden and <laughs> invite some friends, and, and we, we, we try to make some time in the future, maybe a little bit a bigger conference or something like that. And then the pandemic came, and mm. that was it. And I thought, oh my God, and now, hmm, nothing. And then my webmaster, she said, hey, you know, nowadays we have internet. <laughs> you can make whatever you want. You only have to say what you want. And so we made the first IQBC, International Queer Buddhist Conferences, I called it, because this long acronym 2SLGBDQIA plus was too long. I thought, okay, queer is something like an umbrella, I hoped. And then everyone is allowed to come who identifies under this rainbow or as Buddhist or only mindful, respectful. You even haven't to be a Buddhist, but a human being that is respectful. Mm. And so I also invite allies who support us. Mm. That we had the first in 2021 in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> and yeah, and then people encouraged me, can we do the next conference next week? And I said, what, next week? Uh, no, it's not <laughs> possible at all. Because organizing such a conference, that needs time, that needs, well, you have to email to contributors, they must have time to get, yeah, networking and yeah, organizing needs time. But, yes. well... After a year, <laughs> then there was the second, and I was happy to have you as a contributor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was so cool because we didn't know each other only by email <laughs> or by Instagram. 
<laughs> and you said yes, and then my computer broke down. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was really life. It was, <laughs> but I could come back and come into your workshop again. <laughs> and you've had some great speakers at IQBC. I know our friend Kodo, who is a Japanese Buddhist monk, who's also a makeup artist, has been at IQBC and Lama Rod Owens mm -hmm. was just on this year's IQBC. So you have a lot of amazing guests that are queer and Buddhist and that are on this path. Can you talk about, since you're doing this conference and you have this journey and you have all these studies, can you talk about or speak to the point to queer and trans people, like what Buddhism, let's set aside the colonial constructs that have bled into Buddhism, shall we say, all of that aside, can you speak to how and why Buddhism has been important to you as queer, non-binary, lesbian, who grew up in Christianity? Like, what has been the importance of Buddhism in your life in that regard? That's a very good question. Well, I wasn't accepted in the way I am, and I feel in this Christian, Protestant, narrow-minded surrounding. Not at all. And I was called a sexual nothing, because, mm. yeah, you are not a woman. So... And I thought, what? <laughs> no, because that can't be wrong. That can't be right. No, that must be wrong. That is. And so I was very much hurt or injured by many people. And then to realize that, again, I have to speak about Asian Buddhist people, lay people and monastics, Asians, not mm -hmm. Westerners, <laughs> Asians. They were open-minded. There was no problem. I was ordained two times in white robes. That is the lowest ordination in Thai Buddhism, because I, I only did that ordination because you can give back your robes. It's not a lifelong commitment like in Tibetan tradition. There, if you do that, you have to take it earnest and it's a lifelong wow. And I knew that is not my way, but I would have liked to know what it means to become ordained and be for a while in this process. And I was allowed by, she's called Venerable Damananda, is an abbess and was also a doctor, a Chatsuman Kabel Singh, a professor at Tamasat University in Bangkok. So somehow a colleague also studied comparative religions. And she said, hey, that's not an issue. If you are lesbian and non-binary and you have your partner at home, that is not an issue. In that time, when you want to live with us as an ordained, you live with us as an ordained. That's it. Mm. Yeah, you take the vow, you take it earnest for this time, then you go back to the West and you give back the robes and yeah, that's okay. And she was so open-minded. So it mm. was so beautiful. And I was one of them again, like in the Tibetan nunneries, although there, I was known and they knew, yeah? And they also, that my Tibetan, my, <laughs> they were like friends. These Tibetan Buddhist nuns, they knew at this time I had my partner. And mm. I go back to my partner and she is not a man, she is a woman like me. So, oh, they had not a problem. They didn't say, that's not possible. How can you do that? That is, no, that's against whatever. No, it's not against. It's okay. Because we are all different. And yeah, as I said, Buddhism is inclusive. And this inclusivity, that, that feeling to be respectfully accepted and liked as you are or loved as you mm. are. I don't know what the English correct term is, but you can be as you are. Mm. That I found among the Asian siblings. And 
siblings mm. if they are allies or LGBTQI plus. The yeah. straight ones are open. Absolutely. But Westerners, the exceptions are very rare. Yeah. Most of them are so still in the Christian tradition. So yeah. they think they are Buddhists and they really do their best, I, I'm sure. But it's still there somewhere yeah. in, in the back of their brains yeah. that you have to be like this or like that. Yeah. One of my Buddhist teachers, I spoke to this in my initial episode. I love Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. His mm -hmm. writings just resonate with me deeply. But one of my, my other Buddhist teacher who I studied with his son while he was still alive, his son was Reverend Koyo Kabose, but the one I'm speaking of is Reverend Gyome Kabose. One of his writings was about a maple leaf. And he said, essentially, it's very short and sweet. He says something to, now that I'm trying to express it, I can't think exactly of how he phrased it. But essentially, it's falling front, falling back, maple leaf falls. And so I interpret that as like showing your front side, showing your backside, showing all of who you are as a human being is how I interpret that, showing up as yourself and showing up authentically and truthfully as you are. That's the message of Buddhism. And that's, I think, what I've experienced in all Buddhist sanghas, communities. And as you said, the vast majority of Asians that have ever been in my life, in fact, I would say all of them, have been nothing short of loving and accepting, you know, especially for those of us Westerners who did grow up in Christianity among these repressive and harmful narratives about gender and sexuality and also these false binaries about gender and sexuality that are perpetuated in a lot of Christianity and a lot of Western Christianity. I can perfectly relate to what you said about teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. on the last IQBC, which was already the third IQBC, sibling Jönten from Plum Village, UK, who is one of the volunteers in my organizing team, he gave a workshop, an inclusivity workshop, and also a meditation. Mm. And that was so awesome. People wrote me, and especially one who is a long-term friend of me and a Jew, she said it was the first time that I could meditate because wow. it was really inclusive. It didn't matter how you identify, where you come from, which religion you are. It was open and you could breathe and be in the moment. And it was just beautiful. I'm always happy when I have those beautiful, intelligent, queer people around me who share their wisdom. That's great. We all need each other in this world, especially right now with everything happening to and our community. In the US, it's incredible, but it's also in Germany or in other countries is much more difficult. People are still tortured or killed when they are queer. But also here in Germany, it's not easy. Well, I got threatening calls and threatening emails. That's always the same when I do the conferences. Yeah. <laughs> but now, well, the police knows. So they already said, hey, when this happens again, just call. <laughs> so, but that shouldn't be necessary. And no, it shouldn't. And it just, I mean, all of us that are out in the world <laughs> publicly doing this work, me doing this podcast, you doing IQBC, there are going to be people that feel threatened by us. Yeah, and, and, and why we don't take something away from them? We only share our facets. And hey, mm -hmm. isn't that beautiful? They could feel encouraged to also have a look on their facets. Maybe there's yeah. more. The, right. Life is right. not uh, black or white. It's so... Expansive. So <laughs> yeah, so expansive. That is the theme of this podcast is everything is expansive and not so regressive and repressive as 
some people would like to believe. This term, gender expansive, that reminded me on, by the way, you know probably that I am a sci-fi nerd, yeah? I could gather that. <laughs> okay, so I like to watch different series from Enterprise or Star Trek to Star Wars, but also Doctor Who. And oh. Doctor Who is really gender expansive because the old Doctor Who's, it began in the 60s of the last century, that was all, always a man to assume a straight cis man. So um, now he is an extraterrestrial. Hey, and this person can become everything. In one season, it changed into a woman. Ooh, and the fans were so angry, especially straight, white, cis men. Because, hey, that's not possible that this doctor becomes a woman. And it mm. always depends on the actor or the actress. Because this doctor, they can live until eternity. They become a woman. But in a previous series, they were married to a woman. Huh. Wow. So is this doctor now a lesbian? Mm. Interesting idea. Then there is an assistant. She's also a woman. She's also a lesbian. She falls in love with the doctor. Oh, difficult. <laughs> and now this doctor again changed the body mm. because a new actor will come. And this is a black gay man. Mm. Yes. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So also this series becomes gender expansive. And I like those series when you realize that they live with what is around in society. That mm. There are more facets than only those small narrow minded boxes. Mm, 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 mm. I love then that. You can breathe and live no matter how you identify. Absolutely. So what would you say to the question as a queer, non-binary Buddhist? Because I think this is something that especially cisgender heterosexual people struggle with is that there's so many labels to the queer and trans community. But I think I'll just give you a little bit of my thoughts and you can add on to this. I think, you know, because we live in a cisgender heterosexual dominant world that finding language such as queer, trans, non-binary, lesbian, gay, bisexual, asexual, whatever it is, that language and verbiage gives us language to understand ourselves. But at the same time, you know, when you get into the Buddhist world through this process of awakening, when you talk about concepts like emptiness, how do you straddle this human experience of needing to identify and understand ourselves with this idea that there's so much more expansiveness to us as human beings that don't have labels? Like, what do you say to that? That's a hard question, I know. <laughs> That's really a non-binary question. It's a non-binary question. <laughs> you see, on one hand, there is this relative dimension in space. There is these straight patriarchal societies. In society, when you live in your society, everything and everyone has a label. Everyone identifies as whatever and if it's a teacher or a lawyer or a whatever designer yeah it's because we are dependent from language or verbiage somehow we have to know what is around who am i so these labels help in this relative mm. sphere or dimension absolutely but as buddhism is a philosophy that is really expansive in any uh, facet, also in gender. <laughs> this is beyond words. There is this openness, this open-mindedness, this part that is beyond words, mm -hmm. especially in, in Zen. Mm -hmm. There is, yeah, there is this, this circle and there's nothing, emptiness. And emptiness, nobody can really understand this mm. nothingness or emptiness beyond words. I love what Reverend Gilmay says that emptiness really means fullness. Yeah. Mm. 
I just, I get chills when I think about that. And especially for us as queer and trans people, we want to be full and fulfilled within our truth. But there's so much more to us beyond these labels. And this fullness, that reminds me on your picture behind you. The fullness of all the colors. You see, when you have the white light, the only light in a prison, in the prison, you see all the facets. Mm. Yeah? So it's both. It's only light, only this fullness or nothingness. Mm -hmm. When you see that this with the labels, oh, you see so many facets and so many beautiful colors and life is suddenly beautiful because it's so sparkling. <laughs> I love that. Ah, I think that just letting people sit with that is a great transition into the ending super soul questions that I have at the end of story time. Queer story time is always a super soul conversation, but I, you know, like to end and conclude each episode with these super soul questions, which is a nod to Ms. Oprah Winfrey, who used to have a show called Super Soul Sunday. I think she still does. I don't know. But anyway, Oprah, if you're listening, <laughs> thank you. So this first super soul question that I have for you is at this moment of time, given all of your life experiences, what do you feel that your life purpose is as a queer, non-binary lesbian in this world Oof. <laughs> well i think i somehow found my purpose in doing these international queer buddhist conferences and you see the last conference was three days and i'm learning through these conferences what is possible and what is not possible and mm -hmm. it was really exhausting and i only slept seven hours after the conference during the conference i didn't sleep although it's so exhausting and it's so much work and also have to earn a little bit money in my freelance job to survive and the conferences i do for nothing for nothing at all still i think this is worth that this is the purpose that is necessary to be done by me because mm. there's such a big need that people want to have or have this longing for such a safe space and meeting together and chatting discussing meditating also enjoying arts or stand-up comedy or whatever there's so many facets so many possibilities and people have here at these conferences, this safe space and can learn from each other and breathe and realize that it's worth living mm. and that you don't commit suicide because people say you are different. No, you can live, you have your siblings. Mm. So yes, that's my purpose. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And you're living it. <laughs> yeah, I try. I just love it. <laughs> although, although my favorite other teacher who is not a buddhist teacher but a jedi jedi teacher a yoda he says do or do not there is no try so i do it <laughs> amen to that i love it super soul question number two is knowing what you know now what would you have told your younger self about your identity you are good. You are really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think because I really have had very bad times in my younger life, I would have said you can make it, you have the power, and there will come so beautiful times, so colorful times, mm -hmm. so you will enjoy. Never give up. Never give up. There is such a beautiful path. Absolutely. I love that. It does get better to sum it up, right? Yeah. I think w when you don't give up, then you find a way. Because when you give up, then that's it. But if you say, okay, and 
No, this one will not stop me, or this situation will not stop me. There's another t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I can say this sentence in English when something bad had happened. Put your crown again correctly mm -hmm. and shake, and then go forward. Yeah. Proceed. Yeah, proceed. Yeah. And then sachet to use a, <laughs> a queer word. <laughs> I love it. All right. Question number three. There's eight questions in the super. <laughs> so, what's one thing that you wish others understood about the gender and sexually expansive community that, that everyone that we all belong together no matter which gender sexuality or genitals or outlook or um, that we are one world that, that is today so necessary and so any expansiveness makes life worth yeah and colorful you can't live in a world without facets mm -hmm. when there are no facets it's boring it's only mm -hmm. gray mm. yes it is and that's why the rainbow flag is our unity in our representation in this community all right number four on a little bit more of a serious note is what would you say to the lawmakers globally that are creating laws against us walk in our shoes because they don't know what they are doing and, Clearly. and you, you only can learn when when you walk in someone's shoes otherwise mm. there are only prejudices that's such a perfect summation i think of what buddhist practice encourages us to do you know when you think about practices like metta, translating as loving kindness. You know, we offer metta to not only ourselves, but to others, to mm -hmm. random people who we don't really know, other human beings, other animals, and just to the entire globe. These practices in general, I would say, are practices of learning how to step into the suffering that other human beings are experiencing and working to transform that suffering, which is the entire teachings of the Buddha. Okay, number five, what would your number one tip be for queer or non-binary youth? Hmm. Come to the conference. <laughs> come to the conference. <laughs> Well, what I mean is come out when you feel you can, but check first your surrounding, that it's safe for you, that you feel safe. And when you can feel safe, then you can come out and then you can live because you have your network already. Because you always will really know who is your friend and your family when you are out mm. so try it's it's worth that's absolute facts you will find out very quickly who wants to continue to be your friend or family member once you come out and share your truth and authenticity with the world but on the flip side even if some people do choose to not be a part of your life there is a whole community of us that are here with open arms willing to accept and love yeah, and that's a chosen family. For me, these International Queer Buddhist Conferences is not doing it as a project. It's it's really, it's family for me, a global family of whom I feel accepted and they accept me and I really feel good with my chosen family because mm, it's international. Yeah. It's the best Absolutely. what could have happened. Yeah, and that's one of the ongoing themes of queer story time is, you know, we as queer and trans people have to create community connection and family because so many of us experienced adversity, trauma, discrimination mm -hmm. at various points throughout our lives, which creates disconnection. So we have to find reconnection, which is what you're doing with International Queer Buddhist Conference and what I'm doing with queer story time. And yeah, it's a really 
amazing gift to be able to find that connection in the world. Speaking of connection in the world, <laughs> and maybe this is a little bit redundant, but <laughs> my next question is, what does give you the greatest sense of connection in this world? It's really since the pandemic, since this movement, all these gatherings, these conferences began, it's really those many Zoom in events. I, I'm not only speaking of the International Queer Buddhist Conferences I do, but also events like yours and somehow being together. It's only virtual, if you say, or many people would say it's only virtual. No, also it doesn't matter that it's virtual because we are so connected with each other because we can talk, we can we can drink tea together or whatever. We have a fruitful discussion. And hey, if nowadays we could meet also in reality and visit us, that, that wouldn't be a problem after the pandemic. But we are so connected over all the time zones, the whole globe. And if people would see or realize that there is the possibility of such a global connection, then they would be much more safer with our globe, with our Earth. Mm. That only works with being connected, interconnected. Yes, and that's one of the teachings of the Buddha is interconnection, that everything is inherently interconnected and ultimately one. I love that. So, where is Dr. Jampa going from here? What are your um, plans ahead? Now, well, here, it depends on how the question is meant. Now, here, it's around half past seven. Well, Still time for working on the conference proceedings. I have to compile them, so I will still be at the computer and work. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe going out with my dog a little bit, if she likes to, because when it's raining, then my little woman says, no, I am melting. I don't go out today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's for me, it's a usual day now after this beautiful podcast. That was an exception that was super great. But now, well, I, I go back to work. Yeah, that, that is what I have to do. <laughs> what are your future plans or visions for IQBC? Two days ago, I was chatting also virtual with one of the volunteers in the organizing team. And we already discussed how the conferences will proceed in the future, because after three conferences, I am somehow forced to do it annual. <laughs> <laughs> and so we already uh, discussed ideas for the fourth and the fifth conference. <laughs> And it was almost so that we talked hours and hours. That is also a point to still be at the computer because I got so many emails that I have to check what is possible on this next conferences and <laughs> what is only dreams. But mm. yeah, we, we will keep these conferences going. And because this conference, especially this third one, had a different workshop about transgender, I think this will be a big subject also on the fourth, because the Wonderful. fourth is with you. <laughs> May the fourth force <laughs> be with us. <laughs> I always say that to my friends in medical school, may the force be with you. <laughs> we need it all. <laughs> but, but I think it is a TGNCNB thing, what is also an acronym for transgender, uh, gender non-conforming and non-binary people. This will become a bigger topic, I think. Yes, and always on the basis of Buddhism. Because yeah. that is what is carrying us. Uh, if, uh, if it's, I don't know if this is an English 
possible term to say, but it 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 lifts us up. Mm. Yeah. So mm. that's the basis, and yeah, and then everything's possible. I love that. Yeah. So the IQBC conference is offered annually, I believe, in October. Correct. Yes, but this time we had a time change. So from the time zones from West Coast of the US until Australia in Europe. And so everything <laughs> got a little bit chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> but next time it will be a little bit earlier, maybe the middle of October, not, not the end of October. Okay, yeah. good to know. Yeah, so if anybody wants any information about IQBC, definitely go to the IQBC.org, as I said at the beginning of this episode. So yes, for all of those interested in perhaps attending the International Queer Buddhist Conference or their monthly gatherings called Conscious Connections, please visit IQBC.org. Or you can also find them at Queer and Buddhist on Instagram and speak to Jampa yourself. So, Dr. Jampa Wurst, thank you for being a part of Queer Storytime. I'm so thrilled to have you here. It's been wonderful to have this conversation. I'm sure at some point in the future, I will have you back. But I'm so grateful to have you here on this podcast and for you to share your queer story and be a part of this journey. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Stevie, for having me. That was such a pleasure and, and such fun and open-mindedness. And I really felt in my family. Yeah, you are family. Yes. Family. <laughs> yes, we are family. I love that. It's so great to have you on. And for those of you listening on YouTube or on the podcast, I invite you to stay tuned for episode number five, which will be a special end of review queer story time at the end of 2023. So stay tuned for that coming out probably the third week of December. And I look forward to seeing you all again there. Be well, everybody. Thank you. Hey friends, I'm so delighted that you've made it this far. I sincerely hope that this episode has opened your heart and provided you with valuable insights into the lived experiences of those in gender and sexually expansive communities. There are several ways in which you can support this podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed if you haven't already done so and be sure to share it with friends and family. Queer Storytime is a professionally produced podcast, which costs about 80 US dollars per episode. If you feel called to do so, I kindly ask that you support future episodes of this podcast by making a one-time or ongoing contribution that is sustainable to you. Links to contact me or to contribute to this podcast are found within the description of this episode. From the bottom of my queer heart to yours, I'm sincerely grateful for you tuning in to Queer Storytime, the podcast. Hugs and love, y'all. Until next time.